welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Today is just, oh, I can't say enough about today. We are talking to Gary Thomas, who is a phenomenal author and speaker. He has authored around 19 books that are filled with such truths and wisdom. One of his most notable books being The Sacred Marriage, and then recently his incredible book, The Sacred Search, which has been my absolute go-to dating book resource. Note to self, go purchase this now. Gary has a Master of Arts in Systematic Theology, as well as an Honorary Doctor of Divinity degree. He serves on the teaching team at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, and is an adjunct faculty member at Western Seminary in Portland. His books and ministry focus on spiritual formation, how we can integrate scripture, church history, and the time-tested wisdom of the Christian classics into our modern experience of faith. A fun fact about Gary, he is very athletic and has actually completed 14 marathons, including the Boston Marathon three times. He and his wife, Lisa, have been married for 33 years and they have three adult children. I cannot tell y'all how much I have highlighted, quoted, and memorized the book, The Sacred Search as a Christian Single. Our conversation today was fire as we dive into the myth of the soulmate, the science of infatuation, and more. Get ready for a stellar episode. You are probably going to want to take some notes. Gary Thomas, welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast today. I am so excited to have this conversation about dating with you. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Awesome. Gary, so you have done quite a bit and you've been such an incredible voice in the dating and marriage sectors. And I think as it is to date, you've written somewhere along the lines of 19 books. Is that right? Somewhere around there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, that is incredible. And one of your most notable pieces of literature is um, The Sacred Marriage, which has encouraged so many couples, Gary. And yeah, yeah, and in it, you seek to transform the perspective for couples to see marriage really as a spiritual discipline. And I think one of my favorite things that I hear you talk about over and over is that marriage is designed to make you more holy than it is about making you happy. Um, That is just so, so good and such a truth that we need to hear. And um, Um, I think it's an awakening to so much of our culture that just seeks constant self-gratification all the time and just whatever we can to make us happy. Well, and ironically, I think the best route to happiness is through holiness. John Wesley, the famous evangelist, once said he doesn't know anybody who's truly happy who isn't also pursuing holy. And when you think about it, it just makes sense. If somebody is caught in an addiction, they'll have moments of pleasure, but they're not truly happy. If a guy doesn't have his anger under control, he's pushing people away. That's going to make him miserable. If a woman is very negative or materialistic or can't be pleased, she's not ever going to be happy with anyone. And so the irony is by pursuing holiness – We increase our odds for happiness. The challenge is our culture wants to seize happiness without holiness, 
And it just doesn't work because holy simply means to be the person that God created us to be. And when we abuse ourselves or when we abuse others, we're not made to be content in living a life of abuse. And I feel like even that happens in marriage. And then also I think the problem is now with how our culture is, unfortunately, that a lot of that selfishness and seeking um, just happiness in that way without um, seeking sanctification, sometimes it becomes an error, especially when we are in dating. And so when we talk about dating in the dating sector, which of course leads us up to marriage, something after, uh, you know, just a few years ago, you wrote, I think it was five years ago that you wrote the book, The Sacred Search. And um, I'm telling you, Gary, your wisdom in those pages has been one of my number one reference sources when I give dating advice to others. Um, And it's filled with just so much truth and sometimes hard truth, but uh, truth nonetheless. So I've taken so many notes reading the the pages of that book. And so what, you know, you, I know you have children of your own. What inspired you to write The Sacred Search a few years? ago? Well, I am passionate about this. I'm often asked by churches to do marriage conferences, and I will ask them if I could come in a day early for free just to talk to the singles. And I'm sort of letting the marriage ministry mm-hmm. subsidize the ministry to singles, because what I found is, while I'm happy to help people understand the the purpose and the benefits of even a difficult marriage, I was meeting couples that, to be honest, I just thought, This marriage probably never should have happened. Now, God can still use it. I don't think they need to be in despair, but it's going to be a difficult path forward for them. And a lot of it came about because Christians were getting married for the same reasons as non-Christians, and none of those reasons predict future marital happiness. If the feelings were there, the sexual chemistry was there, they felt like they were compatible on dates, that was sort of the trifecta where they would think, well, this must be a great man. I've never felt this way about somebody before. They're not just a friend. I I, want to be intimate with them, and we have such a good time when we're together. They think that's what sets us up for a marriage, but none of those things or even all of those things together don't predict future marital happiness. The skills of dating are radically different from the skills needed for marriage. And so it was trying to help people apply their faith to understand how to make a wise marital choice. Because I I believe a marriage that honors God, a well-matched marriage, creates an incredible thing. A family that is sort of an outpost for God's kingdom. They stand with each other against spiritual attack. They're usually a refuge for the world. Mm -hmm. They do so much good. Their focus is on giving, raising kids. If God should be so kind as to give them kids who will also love and worship the Lord. I mean, there just really is nothing like a Christian family. It just, it just moves me. And so I wanted to start a few steps back. I was trying to help marriages get better. And I thought, you know, let's be a little more strategic here and help people think through what should I be looking for in marriage and how can I know if I found someone with those qualities? Mm. And a huge thing you do talk about in your book, The Sacred Search, is an idea that happens so frequently um, and that you know really drives us in a lot of ways, unfortunately, to making these kinds of choices, which is the idea of infatuation and how we can fall into it, but how we need to be aware of it and not be blind to it. And personally, um, I'm a feeler to my core. I'm a three on the Enneagram, if you've ever heard of that tool. And, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, and I it just really, I'm a total empath in general. And uh, a lot of how I think and view the world lies in my heart personally. So in many ways, because of that, I've personally struggled with entering into relationships and ending up actually being 
infatuated with infatuation. And I don't think that I'm the only one that's gone through this. I think this happens so frequently in our culture. So, you know, can we talk a little bit to start our conversation today about, you know, the science behind infatuation, why you believe um, we need to be careful and aware of it? Yeah. Well, and especially for the guys listening, I would just like to say, we tend to think, well, that's, you know, women like the romantic comedies and the romantic novels and whatnot. But neuro- neurologists, those that study our brain would tell us men are actually more susceptible to love at first sight than women Ooh. Be- because wow. we're so wired into sight and, and, and appearance. Things go off in our brain where we, we can just be smitten. So men need to hear this every bit as much as women, if not more. Um, Fortunately, the brain science has caught us up to a point where we can know more about the neurological mechanics of infatuation. I don't mean to make this sound so unromantic, but it's very (laughs) practical. So let me me go there. We know more about the neurological mechanics of infatuation than any generation prior to that. And what's come out of that is that infatuation is a neurological response that has a shelf life of about 12 to 18 months. Mm, Uh, That's about it. But even then, for instance, an infatuation at 13 months under a scope would look much different than an infatuation at six months. So it begins to fade even before the 18 months is over, which means it's not going to sustain a marriage. It can make us look at someone. It can make us consider someone. It might lead us to start dating someone, but allowing it to cause us to marry someone or even worse to, well, not even worse, but another trap is to not consider someone because we don't feel infatuation. Mm -hmm. I I think it's just unwise. Now, so many singles today would say, I'm asking people to settle when I say you shouldn't expect that you have to be infatuated to start dating someone seriously. But the Mm -hmm. reality is we're not all capable of experiencing infatuation at the level that Hollywood tells us we're supposed to. It depends on the makeup of your brain, your sense of security, your sense of self-esteem, the way your brain processes things like emotions, whether you're a thinker, whether you're a feeler. So some people that think that they're supposed to have this almost out-of-the-body experience and just know that they know they know the first time they lay eyes on someone, you may be expecting a reaction that you're not capable of having. And I, I think some people have let some potentially very good wow. marriage opportunities go by because they haven't had what they thought they're supposed to have. Now, mm. I don't want to go on too long here, so stop me if I have, no. but, but there's, that there, there's a key point that comes out of this that those that really deal with infatuation need to be careful of. It's what neurologists call idealization. In idealization, you create somebody who literally doesn't exist. You can't see their weaknesses that everybody else sees. And you give them strengths they don't actually have. You're falling Mm. in love with the mirage. You're relating Mm. to an image. And that's why I think it's so important to try to push that dating relationship past infatuation so that you actually know who you're marrying. No marriage is easy. I mean, I think every marriage has potential to be incredibly wonderful, but every marriage is going to have its difficulty. So you might as well figure out what will be the challenges of being married to this person. And what I'm trying to say is if you're infatuated, you don't really know. And and what every pastor and counselor, a lot of friends have heard after somebody rushes through a marriage out of infatuation, they'll say, well, he's not who I thought he was. And and that's a true statement. Mm. They, they got married yeah. to a stranger because their brain just couldn't actually process in an evaluative way who they might marry. 
You know, it's so interesting as you're just saying that I'm like remembering so much of what I've done in the past too. And I speak it only because I think it speaks to a lot of what people and singles currently deal with. But something I realized from a recent relationship that I was in was instead of comparing, was a guy that I was dating, I was comparing them a lot to past guys that I've dated that maybe weren't good men. And that was probably in ways like my fault for dating some bad men along the way. But so I see this guy who comes along who's really, really amazing in comparison. And I'm like, oh my goodness, in ways I put him on a pedestal. And by the end of the relationship, what I realized and what God hit me over the head so strongly with was instead of um, comparing him to all the past guys dating that probably weren't the kinds of guys I should have been dating anyways, what I really should be doing, should have been doing was comparing him to Jesus. And when I do that, it, it shows him in a much more realistic light as a man who Yes, is a great man, but, you know, Jesus is a level of, you know, perfection that we won't as humans be able to attain. So um, when I compare him to Jesus, of course he has flaws. And of course there's some realistic things that he's not doing fully correct. But because I was comparing him so much to to these other guys that I dated that weren't that great, it made me kind of put him on this level of, of um, a pedestal that then increased my infatuation level for him. So even as you're talking, I'm like, gosh, I'm remembering that so clearly. And it's so easy for us to do that male or female. And I hear a lot of people saying too, to that point, um, that they just want to find that spark, yeah, just that right. spark. You know, they're just looking for a spark. And that's really interesting to me too, because it kind of plays into everything you just said. Well, and, and I get it. Um, you know, romantic comedies can be fun. You see those moments in movies and it grips you and everybody would like it. And I'm not, I'm not saying you mm-hmm. can't have that spark. What right. I am saying the spark won't keep your marriage alive. The spark won't sustain your marriage. So you want to marry a good friend. You want to marry somebody that you respect. You want to marry someone, I believe, that is growing in the Lord. I, I, I base sacred search around Matthew 6.33 for this reason. It says, seek mm-hmm. first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right, so good. If you marry a man or a woman who's pursuing righteousness, righteousness. you're yep. going to like them more at year 20 and 30 and 40 than you do at week 20 and 30 and 40 because they're growing in righteousness. Here's the thing. Everything the world values and everything the world says we should focus on for relationship fades. Infatuation fades. Beauty and vitality fades. Strength fades. All of those things tend to be on a downward slope. The things that most attract us to each other, physical appearance, emotional emotional connection, sexual chemistry, those things won't sustain a marriage. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, those things grow because God makes them grow. So if you marry somebody filled with the Spirit and they're growing in kindness, they're growing in peace, they're growing in self-control, you will literally love them more as they get older because they're going to mature. And the challenge is when you're in your 20s and you're trying to choose someone to marry, well, they haven't had a lot of time to work on themselves. Our brains aren't even actually fully formed until year 25. And so you can't expect that you're going to find a perfectly put together man or perfectly put together woman in her 20s. Well, for that matter, you're not going to find one in their 30s, 40s, or 50s either. But (laughs) even then, they haven't had that much time as an adult, as someone who's fully in control of their brain, to work on themselves. But if they're on that trajectory, if they're passionately pursuing God, Mm. if they're seeking to find his purpose for their life, 
and seeking to grow in righteousness, you can have some degree of confidence that this is a marriage that's going to get better and better, mm. not a marriage where you had a great nine months and then wonder why you ever got together for the rest of your life. Right. I think you say somewhere in the book too that marriage is not really an emotion. It's it's about more of a policy. It's about a commitment. It can be learned together and grown into. But when we base it on emotion, it's we're not going to get any of those things. We're going to be solely dis- very disappointed in marriage. Yeah. It's lo- love is a commitment. Biblical yeah. love is is clearly a commitment where I decided because I'm my wife's husband, I'm going to love her. I'm going to do this for her. Uh, it, it sounds like a tautology for philosophy people, but it's true. I love my wife because I love my wife. I've just decided I'm going to love her. It's the way that God loves us. The Bible says yeah. that God loved us while we were yet sinners. Mm. He didn't love us because we were holier than our siblings or our friends or, or anyone else. He looked at us. He chose us. And he says, I'm going to love you. And, and that's the choice of marriage where we make the choice. Okay, from this day forward. You're my priority. Mm-hmm. My heart is set on you. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to make a one-sided commitment in one sense as a covenant that I will put your needs above my own. I will seek to to protect you, to cherish you, and, and, and all of those things. Um, and and I, I think it should go without saying, and I don't mean to insult people who don't have faith who mm-hmm. might be listening, mm-hmm. but the reality is I don't think you can live out that faith fully without the presence of God in your life. Yeah. I, I believe first John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. Yeah. And so when you Amen. marry someone who doesn't share your faith, you're marrying someone who's gonna have to depend on themselves. That they're they and it might be easier for them to love you when they don't fully know you. They don't know your flaws. They're not tired of you yet. It's still new. The emotions are still there. But what will they draw on when they see you at your worst, when you're at your sickest, when you're at your most depressed or discouraged? Where will they find the strength to love you then? And that's why I think really one of the more foolish things you could do is marry someone who isn't filled with God's spirit because mm-hmm. you're assuming you're so fascinating and so wonderful and so perfect. Nobody could ever get tired of you. Nobody could ever find any reason not to think that you're the very best person in the world. And frankly, I that's a little arrogant. You can't be um, interesting forever. <laughs> like there's going to yeah. be days where we get a little bored. That's just the name, like our human nature. Um, yeah, oh, that's so good. Oof. And so do you think, so you think that just because we think or we say that we're in love with someone, it doesn't always mean that we should seriously consider marrying them. Well, absolutely. In fact, I I talked with a woman who was my age and she had been through two terrible marriages, guys that had not treated her well. In fact, both of them had gotten abusive to differing degrees. And she was really excited about this third guy. She thought he was going to be the love of her life. And she was frustrated because he wouldn't commit to her. And so her question to me was, how do I get him to commit? I want to do this. And so I started asking her about him and, and how he was treating her. And I became increasingly alarmed because it seemed to me that he was exhibiting every characteristic of her first two husbands which isn't that uncommon, to be honest. If if a woman doesn't, or a guy for that matter, doesn't do the homework to figure out why they were attracted to somebody who's not healthy, they're going to keep being attracted to that kind of person. And so I pointed some of this out, and and I, I 
you know, I, I finally said, doesn't this concern you? And she said, Gary, you don't understand. I think he's the love of my life. I've, I don't know that I've ever felt this way about someone before. And I said, well, okay, let me ask you a question. Were you in love with your first husband? He was absolutely. I, I was devastated when he left me. I said, okay, what about your second husband? Yeah. She goes, it, it was different. He met certain ego needs, but yeah, it also tore me up when I found out he hadn't been faithful. And then I had to look at her and say, hey, maybe being in love with someone isn't a good enough reason for you to marry him because you've done it twice and it's led to tremendous heartache. And I'm afraid you're about to do it a third time. And, and yet it is so hard for us to deny that when we have those feelings. In fact, they've shown neurologically it is more difficult to say no to a an, an emotional infatuation than it is to a sexual urge. We can control ourselves physically more easily than we control, control ourselves mentally, basically. It takes more out of our brain to say no to the infatuation. And wow. so, uh, and that's where, and I think what's even more radical is when I say, well, I don't wow. want you to marry somebody just because you're infatuated. And then when I say, but I also don't want you to not marry someone because you don't experience infatuation. We kind of dealt with that before. I think infatuation is like the weather. Yeah. It can make things pleasant or it can make things more difficult. But if you're determined to exercise or have a picnic or whatever it is, ultimately you have to decide we're going to do this. The weather's going to make it more pleasant or less pleasant, but we're still committed to doing this. Yeah. And that's kind of how we have to look at our relationships. So in that case with infatuation, what do you think, like how long should we wait to make a, a rational and sound decision about someone we might want to consider marrying? What, yeah. Knowing all those factors with infatuation. Yeah. Um, I'm always hesitant to answer that question for this reason. The Bible doesn't give a calendar and I don't like to set up standards that the Bible doesn't suggest, but I can suggest wisdom. Yeah. Neurologically, if I know an infatuation lasts 12 to 18 months and I wait at least 18 months to get engaged, not to be married, but to get engaged, I can have a generally good idea that I kind of know where I'm going for this. Now, if it's less than that and you're getting good counsel, for instance, if you've been dating for a year and your parents say, man, this is a good match. All of your friends say, don't let him go. Don't let her go. Um, you, you seek out pastoral counsel. They're just as enthusiastic. You know, then it, it, it's not so risky. You're just not depending on yourself. Right. But if you're at nine months and you know your parents don't like the guy and your friends are saying, I don't think you see what we see. And a pastor is saying, I really think you should wait. And then you charge forward unilaterally. That's when you're getting into really dangerous territory. Right. So the longer you can wait, the look, this is, this is a life time decision yes. for us yeah. believers. And, and I've asked a lot of singles, wouldn't you rather be happily married for 45 years than in a frustrated marriage for 50 years? Yeah, seriously. 10 out of 10 <laughs> say, oh, I would take the happy marriage for 45 years yes. over the frustrated marriage for 50 years. But when you're single, mm -hmm. that extra five years to make another choice seems like forever. Oh, At for the sure. end of your life, it won't.
Mm-hmm. It's so true. It's when we can step step back and see life for what it is, which in the moment when we're seeing all of our friends and we're influenced by culture in such a way, culture and friends and all of society is like romance, infatuation, finding your partner. That's like the end all be all, but that isn't the end all be all. It's a beautiful, it's a, it's beautiful to seek after marriage and we should be seeking after marriage, but we need to appreciate and value and love this time of singleness too. It's, it's a gift. It still is a gift. It's not a sickness. It's not a disease. You know, it's like this time is still a beautiful gift. And to your point, exactly. I'd much rather wait and be happily married for 45 mere, uh, years than frustrated and and upset for 50 years in a marriage. <laughs> well, and it, it just speaks of a whole different view of marriage. The reality is yeah. infatuation makes us selfish. Mm-hmm. I want to be with you because I like the way you make me feel. I want to be Mm -hmm. together with you because it makes me happy. But a better Mm -hmm. marriage is when I respect my wife and I want to see God use her and I'm inspired by the way God uses her. When I want to raise Mm. a family with her and I'm thankful for the way she's, who she is as their mother. When I can be with her side by side as we go through this life together and then she's supporting me in what I'm doing and I'm supporting her in, in what she's doing. Those are things that get deeper over the time and they're not quite so selfish. And, you know, Mm -hmm. in in infatuation, again, we can't help it because we can't, we feel how we feel. But if you think about Mm -hmm. it, when you're infatuated, you do tend to be selfish and you do tend to get obsessive and you tend to be insecure and you tend to get worried and anxious. Well, do they feel the way I feel or are they looking at someone else and, and all of those things. So instead of really wanting to release them and support Mm. them and admire them and respect them, you kind of want to almost consume them. Yeah, I I know that sounds awful, but it's sort of like when when some of us say, I love you, we're saying like a boy says, I love candy. Yeah. Not because he wants to help the candy. He wants to consume the candy. It just means I really like what happens to me when I'm around you. That's not love. Mmm, that is so good, Carrie. Oh my goodness. Hey friends, question for you. Are you ready to take our relationship to the next level? (laughs) Don't worry, this is a good thing. I want to invite you to be a part of the Heart of Dating Inner Circle. I am so thankful for Patreon because it gives artists and creators the ability to raise funds to do what they do best in crafting amazing works for their communities by allowing you, the fiercest of the fierce audience, to sign up for monthly pledges to support. You can sign up to support this podcast for as little as $5 a month, which these days is equivalent to one hipster cup of coffee. Let's just be real. So what's in it for you? Our Patreon clan will have first access to our episodes, as well as behind-the-scenes looks, into interviews, process, and more. It would mean the world to me if you checked out the Heart of Dating Patreon page so we can together empower others to live their best dating lives. I really want to continue to bring you helpful episodes, the best possible interviews, and stellar content. You can find out more at www.patreon.com forward slash heart of dating. So, okay, 
I live here in Hollywood. I'm right in the center of all the most incredible rom-com movies and where they're all created. Yeah. And the idea of finding a soulmate and the one is all over the place. And, and you know, Hollywood and culture perpetuates that idea over and over. And as much as I personally am a sappy romantic woman and love myself a good rom-com and all of that, this Hollywood version of love and just the idea of the one, I think really has negatively impacted our culture. Yes. So, and I think it, what we are talking about infatuation, all of this kind of leads into what are your thoughts on the idea of like one sole person for us? Well, um, again, this is one of the more controversial things I, I, I say. I wrote a blog post one time that God didn't or won't tell you who to marry. And boy, I heard back from it. Look, Ooh. God can work unusually. I'm not trying to put him in a box, but for 99% of us, I'm convinced scripture says it is our choice. Mm. Not only is it our choice who we marry, it's our choice whether we marry. Jesus mm. basically said some have chosen to make themselves eunuchs, i.e. single for the sake of a kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Paul's talking to widows in 1 Corinthians 7, and he says, you know what? I think you really should consider singleness, but if you want to get married, not a sin. That's okay. Go ahead and, and, and get married. But given the circumstances in first century Corinth, I think you might be better off staying single. And, and if Paul gives you the choice whether or not to marry, it has to also be a choice over who you marry. And then he says explicitly, first right. Corinthians seven thirty nine, she's free to marry anyone she wishes only mm -hmm. in the Lord. And so he's basically saying, look, it's your call. You want to marry the introvert? Or the extrovert, take your pick. You want to marry the athlete or the businessman? That's okay. You want to marry the poet? Sure, as long as you're willing to support him for the rest of your life, that's a choice. You can do that. But, <laughs> but basically, I, I, I believe we have to accept that it's a choice. And the reason that's so important is if God told us who to marry, I would simply ask, then how do we know which one? We've all heard the stories of people who have gone up to someone else. God told me we're supposed to get married. And they, well, God didn't tell me. And, and, and what do you do with that? Or what happens when somebody's spouse has died? Well, now their spouse is, is there a second one? I mean, just the math starts to not work out. And I, I think it leads yeah. to some rather foolish choices. Rather than trying to discern some mystical sense that we were designed before the creation of the world that we would be together, it's is this person solid in their faith? Are they seeking God's kingdom? Are they seeking his righteousness? Do they have the relational skills? Do they know how to resolve conflict? Are they humble? Would they yeah. be a good parent if I want to have kids? Mm. Um, all of these things, that they display the fruit of the Spirit. Those are things that you can evaluate, that you can be objective about. And those are things that actually impact the future happiness of your marriage. And what really scares me is that usually people use, I think he's the one, or I think she's the one, to excuse shameful character weaknesses. Well, yeah, I know this is really scary, but I think he's the one. And I know she's not what I, most people would think she's marriage material, but I really believe she's the one. And so we, we run through a hundred red lights and then are surprised when we have a collision down the road. And, and that's where I just tell young people, look, if you, not just young people, like I said, people getting a second marriage or, and, and whatnot, it's like, do your homework, look at their character, look at their faith, look at the things the Bible does say to make a wise decision. And, and because we, God doesn't say, this is how you know who you're supposed to marry. And if he was telling us who we're supposed to marry, I kind of think he would have told us how we would know. Yeah. 
So instead of looking at it as like looking at a soulmate, the S-O-U-L mate, you kind of, you've talked about looking for an S-O-L-E soulmate. Yes, yes. So what, is, what does that mean? Well, because I base the whole pursuit on Matthew 6.33, seeking first the kingdom of God and his yeah, righteousness, his righteous. it's walking yeah. that out together. So it was a very convenient mm-hmm. play on words. And, and by that, I, I mean, <laughs> and the reason I love Matthew 6.33 Though in mm-hmm. context, he's not addressing couples. It's so practical for marriage because two of the reasons that cause most couples to break up tend to be they mm-hmm. get bored with each other and somebody misbehaves. And and mm-hmm. the whole point about being bored, we kind of touched on this. Yeah, with infatuation. None of us are so fascinating that we can keep somebody enthralled for 50 or 60 years. Yeah. You know, we're, just, yeah. we're not. Five <laughs> or six dates, we can do that. I wish. Five yeah. or six years, that's a challenge. You know, even... Tina Fey and Jerry Seinfeld, after a while, yeah. their spouse knows their stories. They yeah. know their insights, their best punchlines and whatnot. And so it's not fresh anymore, right? Exactly. But yeah. when you're walking out, seeking first the kingdom of God, that means I'm trying to build his kingdom. What gifts has God given us that when we pull them together, we can inspire each other to give. We were created to be God's representatives on earth, to do his work, to spread his kingdom, to spread his influence. So whether that's uh, in the financial sector, trying to get economic justice, whether it's in the social sector, standing up against injustice there, whether it's in academia, whether it's in sports, whether it's in the entertainment community, Mm -hmm. it's not just what makes us happy, but how do we represent God in every area of society? And if we find somebody to walk that out with, S-O, L-E. That's what gives purpose to the relationship. That's what gives meaning to the relationship. And those are the happiest marriages I know Mm -hmm. because selfishness gets boring. I mean, look, look, you live in Hollywood, LA area. Yeah. (laughs) And those are some of the people that have the most beautiful people in the world. Yeah. Some of whom can spend three hours a day in the gym, the rock, Mm. maybe six hours a day in the gym. I don't know. Seriously. (laughs) They get to go on great vacations. Mm. They have designers that build clothes just for them. Mm -hmm. If they want, they might only have to work a couple months out of the year. Money can be unlimited. You'd think if anybody could hold marriages together, it would be them. And yet they don't do any better than the world at large. In fact, probably they would do much worse because if you're not living for a purpose bigger than yourself, that's going to become boring sooner rather than later. And so find somebody that you can share that kingdom purpose with that ultimately feeds your marriage. And the second one, we already talked about righteousness, that it's when somebody comes into my office as a pastor because they're frustrated with their marriage, usually somebody's misbehaved. They haven't sought first his righteousness. They've sought lust or materialism or fraud, uh, gambling and addiction, you name it. And that's what's causing the stress in their marriage. And what do you think about the, like, so, and spiritually, a spiritual soulmate in that way too. So like someone who is walking alongside you spiritually as well, because I know I've had a lot of conversations with people where um, they end up dating someone who does claim to be a Christian, who goes to church, but they may not be really... They may not really have the hunger to seek after Jesus the same way. Um, And so something that I've challenged my friends with is you need to think to yourself, if you were removed from the picture, do you think that person is still completely seeking after Jesus on their own? Or are they only doing that because you are there? 
And that's something I think that's we really also really need to look at, right? Wouldn't you agree? I I think you're giving them fantastic advice. Oh, good. Um, okay. Woo. You've really got, and I, I think we have to protect believers in a sense. Mm. And I say that without apology because mm. some people appreciate the peace of a believer, the spiritual strength of a believer, mm-hmm. the benefits of being a believer. And so all of a sudden they act like they're into God, but really they know you're into God and they're into you. So they act like they're into God simply because they're into you. And so you have to find yeah. if this person's faith is genuine. Um, and and I, it kind of comes because if those three things are present, the remote, the romantic infatuation, the sexual chemistry, compatibility on dates, we're just hoping, oh, please be a Christian. Please, please, please be. Because those other things are what we value more. But if you really value seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you won't be fooled by that because you'll notice yeah, they never bring up God. And if if ever I want to skip out a meeting or church or something, they're encouraging me to do so. I'm always kind of having to drag them. And and so you just kind of see, I, I, I just say this, if they're never talking about God to you, they're never talking to God. Yeah, so God isn't silent. If they're not bringing God into the relationship when you're dating, they're not going to bring God into the relationship when you're married. In fact, it's usually worse. They probably are really wanting yeah. to marry you, and so they're becoming something they're really not until the wedding day. It's mm-hmm. like, frankly, this is sad, but but the young woman who would pretend to be an outdoorsman because she's fallen in love with an outdoors guy, and 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 she doesn't like the sun or flies or hiking or blisters. And, and she'll, she'll go on the hikes and she'll love it and she'll eat the freeze-dried food and whatnot. As soon as they get married, yeah, I think I'll take a movie into this after. You go ahead. And, and that's what, what men and women do with church. They'll go along, but as soon as they get married, yeah, I, I just – there's a game on tonight. Or I really wanted to see this show. Or I'm, I'm getting together with my girlfriends and, and then you're really in a difficult situation. Okay, so – this is a thing. So a lot of people are sometimes have waited. They feel like they've waited patiently and they feel like they're doing all these steps apparently. And in their quest for searching for someone to to find and make a good partner, they, um, they over time, as the time goes on, they find themselves really frustrated. And so, and I have a lot of friends in their mid thirties or what have you, and you don't even have to be in your mid thirties to sometimes be frustrated. But what would you say to those who say, and I've heard a lot of men and women say this to me specifically, is I'm just going to wait for God to bring me the right person. I'm just, I'm done searching. I'm done trying, putting myself out there. I'm just, I'm going to wait for God to bring me the right person because I know he's going to do that. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think next to finding the one, that may be one of the worst myths that the church is struggling with. And I think it's hurt so many people. Uh, and it's only in romance that we look at this way. Look, if if somebody said to me, I don't know if God wants me to go to college or not. If he wants me to go to college, I'm going to wait and see if Stanford sends me a dorm key, uh, University of Chicago sends me. You, you th- you're an idiot. I mean, yeah. if you want to go to college, you've got to apply. You've got to make totally. yourself look available. Or if they get out of college, well, I don't know where God wants me to work. But hey, God can always have Microsoft call me or Google or Facebook. And again, you're just saying, you know what? That's a misapplication of your faith. We would think that person was a certified religious fanatic. But for mm-hmm. some reason, when it comes to relationships, we think passive, passive, 
passivity is mm-hmm. is the only holy choice. And and I I don't believe it is. Look, marriage is good. For whatever mm-hmm. reason, when we're dating, that's where it seems like we exalt passivity. And it just it just doesn't make sense. Look, the Bible says marriage is a good thing. So pursuing it is a holy pursuit. It's not a selfish pursuit. It's not a, a worthless pursuit. But I'll admit, dating can be awful. Um, and there isn't a form of dating that, that is immune from that. People say, well, I want friends to set me up. You know, it's just caused problems with my friends. Or sometimes I've had a nightmare on online dating. Or there really isn't a form of dating where you don't hear nightmare stories. But here's the thing. You only need yeah. to find one. You, you don't got to find mm. 12 guys out there or 12 women out there that are married. You just got to find one that's a good fit for you. And if you know how good mm. marriage can be. How wonderful it can be to love the Lord together, to grow in God together, to raise a family together, to be friends, to support each other throughout all of the years. You would say, it is worth it. I I, I guess mm-hmm. for me, I, I look at it this way. I wanted to be a writer my whole life because I really can't do anything else. Yeah. I'm a mechanical idiot. <laughs> I love sports, but I'm not athletically gifted. <laughs> not very good with numbers. Same. And I yeah. I went through eight straight years of complete rejections, magazine articles, mm-hmm. books. Nobody would give me any attention or pay anything. And and then you just mentioned that I've written 19 books. The reason I said about that, because, you know, they yeah. do the spinoff books. If you count them, it's in their 20s. But I don't always count them because if a book does well, they cut oh, it up gosh. and, you know, make it a little book or something. But the reality is I would look back and say – those eight years were so painful and horrible, and I still shudder. But to have now, as I have uh, 25 years of being published, I started in 94, mm. 04, 14, so 24 years. It was worth it. It was more than worth it to get to do what I have been able to wow. do, what I'd love to, which I can't imagine doing anything else. And so, yeah, don't give up just because your heart's been yeah. broken and it's been embarrassing. Um, at the end of your life, if you've made a wise choice, you'll look back and say, mm-hmm. yeah, a couple tough years, but man, I'm glad I persevered because a good marriage is worth it. Yeah. And it comes back to you saying like, would you be, would you rather be married in a happy marriage for 45 years or 50 years in a frustrated marriage? So it's like that exact, just like you said earlier, um, if we could be more patient and I think our culture in essence is really missing perseverance and endurance Yes, and we just lost the whole idea of perseverance completely. And that's what leads us to make these unfortunate decisions. And it leads us sometimes maybe even to make excuses for guys. If we're really discouraged and we've been through a hard battle and lots of heartbreak, sometimes we'll end up making excuses for the people we're dating. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, or we're not honest with people about what's really going on or the red flags we're seeing personally. Yeah. And that can, yeah. Oh my goodness. So we've covered a lot today, Gary. My gosh, I actually want to talk to you more and more, but we're just about out of time here. So, um, and I hate that because you have so much good wisdom and for everyone listening, everyone just has to go and read the sacred search of their dating and anyone listening that may be married, married, the sacred um, marriage is so incredible along with Gary's other books. But before we wrap up, Gary, I just want to ask you one quick thing that I've been asking everyone. So it's basically, if you just have one top nugget piece of dating advice that you can give everyone, what would you, what would it be? Just one top nugget. Well, it'll sound repetitive to what we already said, and it will sound hopelessly religious to some people, but, but I believe it in the core of my being. 
Um, the, the theme of my ministry has been closer to Christ, closer to others. I believe the more we fall in love with God, the more we can experience our love for each other. The more time I spend filling my heart with God's affirmation and acceptance and challenge, the less I ask and demand of my wife. The more I stint and skimp out on my relationship with God, the more demanding I become of my wife. And so I would say if I was single, uh, fill your heart with the Lord as you earnestly search uh, so that you're not needy and desperate. If, if I go into a grocery store and I'm hungry, or if I go into a restaurant and I'm really hungry, I'm not going to eat what's best for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I get there when I'm not desperate, then I might have this salad as I had today, right? And, and I'd say the same thing. To date when you're spiritually thirsty is a dangerous thing to do because you might be looking not just for a future husband and wife. You might be looking for a God and you won't find a God walking with two arms and two legs these days. Uh, so um, that that's where I would say put your spiritual house in order. Remember how much yeah. God loves you, that he's for you, mm -hmm. that he affirms you, that he chose you, that he dearly loves you. And out of that, mm -hmm. you can make a wise so. choice. Oh, so good. Um, Gary, I'm so thankful for your time today. I, I feel like I've learned, a, I learned a lot in your book, but then I've learned just that much more today, just through this conversation. And I'm sure all the listeners did as well. So the last thing I just want to ask, is there any, spe anything specific that you're working on or that you want to share with the listeners? Um, yeah, sure. Actually, if some of the listeners are very close to getting engaged, uh, this November, I have a book coming out for engaged couples, Preparing Your Heart for Marriage. It's a series of devotions for engaged couples. The first half, just basically how to start to prepare your hearts to become one. And then the last half oh, wow. focuses on the wedding vows so that when your wedding vows are repeated, you'll have thought about and talked about and prayed about every phrase in the wedding vows, making that ceremony all the more meaningful. We don't know of anything That's else incredible. out there like it. So, um, you know, it, it's great to pick out the flowers and the right dress and, and, and all of that. But if you can prepare your heart a little bit spiritually for marriage, you can make it an even more meaningful day. Mm, that's so exciting. Oh my gosh. I'll be recommending that to all my engaged friends right now. Awesome. Gary, you are incredible. I just, I've loved connecting with you and I just so appreciate you being on the podcast today. Well, I'd love to see something so encouraging coming out of the left coast. So oh, I love God it. bless you Thank as well. You. <laughs> and may continue to bless what you're doing. Thank you so much, Gary. I mean, where do I even begin? Gary challenged us in so many ways to rethink dating and what our culture says about dating, including infatuation and the idea of the one versus, you know, what will really help us to live a holy life and have a holy marriage one day. One of my favorite things that he said was, would you rather be in a 45-year marriage happy or a 50-year marriage frustrated? Well, yes, indeed. I would rather wait five more years if that means happily married for 45 years, right? Wouldn't you too? Gosh, there's so much to think about and so many helpful challenges. I also love his thoughts on the soulmate and that we should instead look for an S-O-L-E mate, someone to walk with us and pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness. Come on now. Also, for anyone in a serious relationship, Gary has a book called Preparing Your Heart for Marriage coming out in November. I can pretty much guarantee it's going to be such a vital resource. Also, 
If you support this mission, I'd love, love, love for you to hit subscribe on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can also stay up to date with show notes on heartofdating.com. And you can follow along on Instagram at, at heartofdating. And, you know, if you happen to know a friend or two that might need some dating help, I'd love for you to share this with them and get them to also support this. We have some amazing guests coming up in the coming weeks, and I am confident you will love it. So stick with me as we journey through this together. Until next time, friends.